Wine and Crime contains graphic and explicit content which may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Wine and Crime, the podcast where three friends chug wine, chat true crime, and unleash their worst Minnesotan accents. Oh, you know it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, these are authentic accents. They are. Yeah. And they my mom's are. is getting stronger by the minute. Oh, my gosh. As she ages. <laughs> we went when to the she- bank the other day, and we're in Minnesota, and it's like the banker is still shocked. Yeah, <laughs> and how Minnesotan she sounded. Yeah, it's so cute. I love it. When I go home, it gets stronger for sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, Proximity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Who are you? Oh, fuck it. I'm Kenyon. I'm Lucy. I'm Amanda. <laughs> we are crushing it it's today. It's winter. I decided to throw on a bold red lip because I didn't want to put on other makeup. You're gorgeous. I have a I really cool it. pimple right here on my lip, so I'm just not wearing oh, any yeah. makeup. Yeah, mm-hmm. I got some goodness happening. Whatever, Love it's that. fine. Fuck it, I don't care. Fuck I'm it. glad that middle parts are back. <laughs> and also oversized crew neck sweatshirt. Yeah, what a yeah. gift. And leggings. <laughs> oh I also my God. had an oversized crew neck and the leggings I slept in last night. <laughs> It's yes! 6 p.m. the next day. You know it's what? It's in. This is the new suffragette Ugh. wardrobe. Good. Yep. That mm-hmm. is the theme of this episode, brought to you by our very special fan picker, Annie Davis, or maybe mm. Annie DeFranco. Annie Davis. Annie Davis. Love it. I need to go listen to some Annie DeFranco. We all Always. do. Yes. <laughs> So good. That's your prescription mm-hmm. to be filled. <laughs> so I'm calling you Ani now. Ani has Done. selected the topic of <laughs> suffragette crimes. I always get confused if it's supposed to be suffragette or suffragist. Or just suffrage. We'll get to it, actually. Suffering. Mm-hmm. Constant we'll suffering crimes. Well, in the meantime. Got nothing to do with suffering. I know. I just am <laughs> suffering. Oh, okay. In the meantime, Amanda, what is our wine crime pairing for suffragette crimes? You know, this pairing kind of sums up how I feel about the suffrage movement perfectly. So I love it. It's also from our amazing friends over at Wink Wine Club, which is the greatest thing since the right to vote. (laughs) (laughs) This is an online wine club that delivers wine to your door or a Walgreens just over the border if you have one of those states. Yep. Kenya. I'm pointing at Kenya. still don't have the right to drink wine in a box. I don't even know if Kentucky is in the direction I'm pointing, but go far enough in one direction. You might end up in Kentucky. It's that way to you. It is. It's this way. It's where I am. No, you're still whatever. I mean, I don't think I don't think I trust anybody's anybody's And North is always straight up. Yes. It's (laughs) south of you. I'm south. Okay, anyway. So uh we still have rules. Yeah. (laughs) I still have pretty uh amazing access, and by I I mean all of us, but I just said I for some reason, to this amazing discount code. 
for Wink. Yes. If it is your first time ordering from them, go to trywink.com forward slash wine and crime special because you get four bottles for $29.95 and free shipping. Woo! That's like mm-hmm. a hell of a deal. Wines, all the wines are really good. They're so all good. All the wines are in like beautiful, cool, interesting bottles. Mm-hmm. They're the yep. best. And today yeah. we are drinking the 2020 Sister Snake Grenache. Yes. Ooh, this is a Western Cape, South Africa Grenache. Nice. Ah, she's a beaut. I am not going to attempt to open it with a hair straightener. I'm just going to do it the old yeah, fashioned way. Yeah, don't ruin way. that bottle. Nope. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. that. I'll I never forget. I'm going to open it with a sword. I, oh my god! I've been watching so many sabering videos because it's like right around the holidays. I've been watching so many scissoring videos. Same. Oh I'm my god! Careful not to get cut with broken glass in either of those situations. True. This is a medium-bodied fruit forward red. She clocks in at thirteen point six percent ABV, and you're gonna get some nice like. Black pepper off of the Grenache. This is a hundred percent Grenache. My angel. Yeah. Ooh. Very cool bottle. It's gorgeous. She's balanced out with some blackberry. You're gonna get a little eucalyptus on the nose. Some like mm. deep red cherry. But it is uh, nice and balanced. It's earthy. It's a little woody, and it should finish pretty dry. Cool. So it's honestly like a perfect, especially holiday foods mm-hmm. kind of wine. It's gonna taste good with like gingerbread. Oh, anything eucalyptus around mm-hmm. the holidays I also really love. Just Yeah, it's mm-hmm. a very holiday-ish mm-hmm. it's perfect. thing. It's perfect. I am also drinking a South African wine right now. Yeah, Pinotage. Uh, yeah, it you is. Know it. I know this girl. Do, 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 do. I'm drinking I, my girl Kim Crawford. Got yeah. to. Kimmy, I'm <laughs> opening it up with our limited edition Wine and Crime Gals Iridescent Wine Key. So good. How that. freaking cute is she? I can't even. I love these. They're so sturdy. Mm-hmm. And like Amanda said, limited edition. So yeah. get your mitts on one of these. We mm-hmm. should make a limited edition Wine and Crime hair straightener so that people can <laughs> open their wine <laughs> with that. <laughs> you know, just a thought. I love it. Just a thought. <laughs> that also has a corkscrew so you can take out the remnants. Yes. A tiny <laughs> bit of tweezers so you can get your stray hairs and your stray cork. Wine and Crime limited tweezers. edition cork tweezers. Cork that tweezer hair straightener. Protective goggles. Yes. A roll of paper towels. Burn cream. <laughs> Burn cream. <laughs> a glove. And a glove and ace bandage. <laughs> this will be very expensive, foreign. but I'm here for it. All right. <laughs> yeah, it'll be a bundle. It's a it's a gift box. <laughs> it's a fun. Shall we pop? <laughs> yeah. Here we go. <laughs> oh, oh, that's oh, there's a, a little I got a little drip on my <laughs> microphone. Oh. Have that roll of paper towels. It's not the first time it won't be the last. It's not. And I'm pouring it into a copper cup because all of my wine glasses are dirty. This is depression, people. <laughs> <laughs> nice pop. Oh, yeah, nice, nice pop. pop. <laughs> I know. We're I'm all fine. doing great. And We're... the fact that the sun sets at 3 p.m. now is not affecting us even a Does little bit. Does it ever bit. come up? 
I didn't notice that it was up. <laughs> like I love Sometimes it's Arctic down circle. before I'm up. Honestly, we like always have our shades down just because nudity in my house is prolific. <laughs> and so there will be days in the winter when I forget the sun exists. Yeah. That's not great for your brain. I wonder I'm, why my vitamin D levels are just. <laughs> we like crack some slats for our plants and I need to like sit in the crack you slat. Need to the slat treat crack. yourself as good as you treat your house plants. Honestly, right. I do. That you would be an improvement. Also, poor pets. <laughs> Pepperoni's fine and Callie goes outside. <laughs> Unlike you? her mom. <laughs> I plead the fifth. Anyway, so okay. Let's move cheers, on. Cheers, fellow depressed people. Happy December. <laughs> mm. All right, Lucy. What is our background? And oh, that's tasty. Probably not psych for suffragette crimes. There's no psych. Oh, I gotta get my bones. Oh, shake them. People new to the why podcast. I put them away. Yeah, leave them handy. People new to the podcast, if Lucy's segment does not contain psychology about the crime, then she shakes her jar of goat bones. My cactus-shaped jar of goat it's bones. It's such a cute little It doesn't jar. have to make sense. No. 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 Keep up. Keep up. Glow up. So suffrage is, in representative government, the right to vote in electing a public public officials and adopting or rejecting proposed legislation. In nearly all modern governments, suffrage is considered an inalienable right that adheres to any adult citizen. In democracies, it is the primary means of ensuring that governments are responsible to the governed. In so, theory. All of this is <laughs> Nailing theory. It. We'll fucking get to it. Don't yeah. worry. I'm going to get I'm going to hand you a soapbox. Oh, mm. yeah. We know. Don't blow your load. Yeah. yeah. I <laughs> yeah. mean, we yeah. all will take we'll our tiny, our little soapboxes, I'm sure, in all of our segments. So buckle yeah. up, people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Strap him. Yeah. <laughs> Strap yourselves in. Mother will kill coming. us if she finds out. <laughs> <laughs> that would help with my depression management. I need to watch Mommy Dearest. Oh, yeah, that always helps. It's always. a holiday film. It is. It's a Christmas movie. <laughs> fucking at don't it's, at me. It's, it's even more a Christmas movie than Die Hard. More, in my opinion, and absolutely more than fucking. It's a Wonderful Life. Oh yeah, they're equally as depressing and horrible. Right. Yeah, barely has to do with hate. Christmas. It's a wonderful Jimmy life. Stewart get all the attention. Wow, I'm dying. <laughs> Ick. <laughs> that movie sucks. Never I'm seen it, never will. Up. Oh, it's garbage. It's horrible. Although the Nick Cage remake with Taylor Leone is pretty fun. Okay, so I also City just realized- Angels? <laughs> That's Nick Ryan. I also get it was a joke. Sorry, we're getting loopy. (laughs) I get it's a wonderful life and life is beautiful mixed up. (laughs) Just in basically the same movie. Equally Saving Private Ryan. Nazi Germany. Being John Malkovich. Life is Beautiful is an actual good film, but they're both really depressing, but Mm -hmm. sold to us as like uplifting but yeah. actually like 99% of the movie is soul crushing yeah. yeah yeah anyway it's fine sorry okay we're so doing great obviously there are a lot of exceptions to this whole fairness democracy blah 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 
that I just said in the U.S. and abroad, but talking about the U.S. both today and historically. At some time or another, American citizens have been denied their voting rights because of religion, property ownership, race, and gender. Mm -hmm. We're going to circle back to this, obviously. It wasn't until 1870 when, thanks to the 15th Amendment, formerly enslaved people were granted the right to vote, although a number of states, particularly in the South, shocker, made that pretty fucking hard through things like poll taxes, literacy tests, constitutional quizzes, and grandfather clauses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It wasn't and until formerly it's only it was only formerly enslaved men, as we will mm-hmm. get to. Well, right. What mm-hmm. so my next sentence. It wasn't until the 1960s with the 24th Amendment and in conjunction with the Voting Rights Act that American adults who were black, indigenous, I always say Latinx. That's not right. Latinx. 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 <laughs> Latinx. <And> other- <laughs> And other people of color were fully fully guaranteed the right to vote on paper anyway, which like gerrymandering and all that there's intimidation. Still, it's there's still, still not it, yeah. fully. There's, follow no. Stacey Abrams. That's all I got to yeah. say. Queen. She'll tell Abrams. you everything you need to know. That yeah. is why like, well, I'll save. I'll wait. I'll wait. Just wait. You're going to have plenty of time. I'll wait. <laughs> but we also aren't talking about that today. We're talking about ladies, and in particular, mm-hmm. white ladies. Mm-hmm. So let's bring it back to that scene in Mary Poppins when the mom is like all about votes for women and marching around the house in her sash, singing the sister suffragette song. Very you know cool what I'm talking sash. About? Oh yeah, obviously she's putting Iconic the sash scene. on the. So the I have cook. the I have the lyrics. Feel free to chime in. Oh God! Cast off the shackles of yesterday. Shoulder to shoulder into the fray. Our daughters, daughters will adore us. And they'll sing in grateful chorus. Well done, well done, well done, well done, well done, (laughs) sister suffragette. Yes! Woo! I well knew done. more of those words than I was anticipating knowing off the top of my head. I was never a Mary Poppins gal. I didn't know mm. any of those. I think I've seen it like twice. What? There's like kind of, yeah. there's the things we remember about that movie from like when we watched it as children and like underpinnings of like social unrest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I never picked up on before. Mm-hmm. It's a deeper <laughs> film than... Yeah. It got credit for when we were six. Yeah. Yeah. I do remember penguins and some walking on the ceiling. I feel like you would love that movie. I feel like it's right up your alley. I think the walking on the ceiling was uh, bed knobs and broomsticks. It wasn't even Mary Poppins. No, it happened in that, in one scene in Mary Poppins. You had to think good thought, happy thoughts, and then they would laugh and you would float up Mm -hmm. to the ceiling. Yeah. It was about. Drugs and drinking. Yeah, pretty much. Isn't that Willy Wonka? It's not one. There's more than one movie that's ever done. There's a lot of floating. They figured out how to do floating (laughs) special effects. Yeah, it got real popular for like a stretch. I don't remember that in Mary Poppins at all, but that's okay. They they, they all, they all, they're all the same. They're all the fucking same. Being John Malkovich. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Life is beautiful. So that Dead watching society. that scene is the first time. <laughs> Poor man's Jake Gyllenhaal. That's the first time I remember learning that suffragettes were like a thing at all. Mm-hmm. The official activism movement began in the early 20th century in Britain. 
A suffragette refers in particular to members of the British Women's Social and Political Union, or the WSPU, a women-only movement founded in 1903 by Emmeline Pankhurst, which engaged in direct action and civil disobedience. Their official, like, slogan at eventually was deeds, not words. Yeah, they, like, went for they it. They fucked mm-hmm. shit up. And they, we'll like, literally it. blew shit up. Well, we'll get to it, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I should also note now that, the, that this portion is very, like, Western-centric. Mm-hmm. Like, the women being denied the right to engage in civic action is, like... A worldwide. A mm-hmm. worldwide thing. Yeah. But today, I'm, I'm just covering basically Britain and the United States. But yeah. I'm not purposely discounting movements right. elsewhere around right. the world. And there are also lots of societies where, like, in the past and in other, you know, cultures, women did have more mm-hmm. rights and, and then it was revoked we'll under new too. leadership. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um I could note here though that the reason why this popped up in Britain at this time is because New Zealand was actually the first um like I'll just say modern colonized uh, society that gave women the right to vote. Mm-hmm. So that was in like 1893 I think. So right after that, particularly the women in Britain who were like, well, you're, you know, part of our yeah, how come they empire. How come they get it and we don't? So that's mm-hmm. why that ramped up in Britain at this time. Mm-hmm. So the name suffragette was actually written by a man reporter for the Daily Mail in 1906, intending to belittle the women a- advocates. And instead, they adopted it as the title of their WSPU newspaper. So fuck that guy. And in mm-hmm. answer... In response to Kenyon's question earlier, a suffragist is like anybody wanting the right to vote, but oh. he was trying to like be like, oh, women want it. Okay, right. you're, you're, suffrag- you're a suffragette. Yeah, you're basically a rocket when it mm-hmm. comes to civil disobedience. Exactly, a powder yeah. puff. Mm-hmm. Which also like the powder puffs at our high school were badass. Like I mm-hmm. feel like that was another kind of term that's like. Oh, I don't think they still <laughs> call it that anymore, do they? Maybe I not have no idea. Spread. I didn't follow football of any variety then, yeah. and I certainly don't follow it now. Yeah. Well, no, now absolutely not. But I think there are a lot of phrases like that for any group that was marginalized in whatever like sphere we're discussing mm-hmm. that they kind of embrace those condescending monikers. Right. Yeah, nasty woman, mm-hmm. which is still the name of my Wi-Fi network. <laughs> Take the power back. All of your neighbors know which one is yours by the way. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, trying <laughs> trying to explain that to the like electrics electrician and like repair people in South Africa when I was Just like network name it. nasty woman and they were like because they had no idea that yeah. it was related to Hillary Clinton. Like, they were like, oh, right. not Is your following. shower broken? Yeah. <laughs> like, really? They were like, oh. You can see okay. that. Like, they definitely all thought it was sexual. What's your OnlyFans <laughs> account name? <laughs> and I had to be like, no, it's it's pro-Hillary Clinton. And they're like, mm-hmm. Okay. Nasty. Okay. Okay. <laughs> sure. Okay. Pat you on the head. Yeah. So deeds, not words, indeed. The suffragettes heckled politicians. They tried to storm parliament. They were attacked and sexually assaulted during battles with the police. They chained themselves to railings. They smashed windows. 
They carried out a nationwide bombing and arson campaign. Love and a face- good arson campaign. <laughs> Depends on the motivations, but yes. Mm-hmm. And face Christmas tree. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 People are no, very no. upset. I didn't do it. I didn't do it either, but <laughs> it happened. Well, they should have watered the tree a little bit better. <laughs> and they faced anger and ridicule in the media. So, like, PR-wise, very divided. Mm-hmm. When imprisoned, they went on hunger, hunger strikes to which the government responded by force-feeding them. Oh, yeah. We'll get to that. Excellent. Are you doing a case out of Britain? No. Okay. I'm doing the fan pick case. Oh, okay. Because there's – how am I blanking on this person's name? That is, like, horrible. I almost covered them, but they were one of the suffragettes in Britain at this time and also – um uh, ethnically Indian, mm-hmm. but also like very high born and like a goddaughter of Queen Victoria or something. Mm. And they they just have a crazy wild story. And I heard about it on um, my God, I have the worst memory of all time. <laughs> Whatever. There, it doesn't there were matter. a ton. Like when I was going through these articles, there almost every single woman that they mentioned had like a link to a separate article. Yeah. Like so many of these women who participated in this particular group had like incredible backgrounds and they just did like the most amazing things. And mm-hmm. obviously we'll get to the problematic stuff. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, the, the, I mean, to do any of those things, you'd have to be very strong, very motivated. Like mm-hmm. they're they really really were in, really incredible, fucking brave. Yeah, fear, very really brave, fearless. Women. Some of this like shit. The f- when you talk about like force feeding, like mm-hmm. force feeding is it's torture, really yeah. violent. Yeah, it's literal torture. Mm-hmm. 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 So here is an excerpt about one of the bombs in their bombing campaign, and this is from a newspaper published in April 1913. Quote, policemen discovered inside the railings of the Bank of England a bomb timed to explode at midnight. It contained three ounces of powerful explosive, some metal, and a number of hairpins. The last named constituent, no doubt, to make known the source of the intended sensation. Mm -hmm. Sending a message. Mm -hmm. And ribbons. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Glitter. (laughs) And then corsets rain down. (laughs) Whale bones. (laughs) That would be badass, actually. Yeah, it would. So the bomb was similar to that used in the attempt to blow up Oxted Railway Station. It contained a watch with attachment for explosion, but was clumsily fitted. If it had exploded when the streets were crowded, a number of people would probably have been injured. Which obviously we don't endorse that. But because nobody was injured in these bombings, they... It's fine. I don't think that... I don't think injury and death and like maiming was really their Point. goal. Right. No, it was to cause a stir and it did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this was nobody a PR, got hurt. This was a PR move. Mm-hmm. One notably violent episode was the death of suffragette Emily Davison. Davison? Is this the fan picker's last name? Oh, no, Davis. 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 The Davisi code. Emily DeVise was a badass, very militant activist. She was arrested on nine occasions. 
She went on hunger strike seven times and was force fed on 49 different occasions. Jesus. Oh, yeah. On June 4th, 1913, Davison attended a prominent derby carrying two WSPU flags. During the race, she ran out onto the course, possibly with her flags. I'm not quite sure if she had her flags on her, if, if the intention was to like. Probably. Put a, I, I read in one of the articles that her in, intention was to like strap one of the flags onto the horse. Mm, mm-hmm. So the that horse would, would effectively like be waving be their around. banner. Yeah. That would be tough to pull off. You have to be yeah. a really good horse girl. Yeah, well. To pull that one off. Didn't work either way. She was struck by a horse named Anmer, which belonged to King George V. Ooh. And Anmer was running at about 35 miles an hour. So if you can. Anmer. Basically, oh. she got basically getting hit by a car. Yeah. Yep. So she was Ooh. knocked unconscious. She was at least like hit by the horse. I don't yeah. think the horse stepped on her, but it might have like kicked her kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, any um, impact at that speed and. Oh, you're telling It's a horse. Yeah. It's a horse. It's pure muscle. Mm-hmm. So she was knocked unconscious, and she later died at the hospital from a skull fracture, and her death was ruled due to misadventure. Okay, well, that's how I want to die. <laughs> I want that on kind of a my really death certificate. cool reason of death. Mm-hmm. Here's a fun fact. The WSPU created and sold a board game to raise money. This board game was called Panka Squith. Love it. Need it. Put it in my stocking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Panka name was Squiff. The name was Squiff. derived from Pankhurst, who was the founder of the WSPU, and the surname of Prime Minister H.H. Asquith, who was largely hated by the movement. Like he hated the women's suffragist yeah. movement. Was not into it. So so why call game. it Askahearth Hearst and just call it Pankasquith? I like Pankasquith. It's fun. It's memorable. It sounds like a condition that I would have as a diabetic. Do she not d- take Pankasquith if you're <laughs> allergic to Pankasquith. <laughs> so this board game was set out in a spiral and the players were required to lead their suffragette figure from the home to Parliament. <laughs> and you had to pass obstacles from Prime Minister H.H. Asquith and the Liberal government. Oh. <laughs> so it's like Candyland. That's amazing. <laughs> like political Candyland. That's really cute. I know. Also in 1909, suffragists Daisy Solomon and Elspeth McClelland tried an innovative method, an innovative method of potentially obtaining a meeting with Asquith by sending themselves by royal mail courier post. Love. Oh, my God. I would not trust USPS. No. Nowadays. Well, Downing Street did not accept the parcel. <laughs> <laughs> McClelland is known to history as, quote, the human letter. Okay. <laughs> and Love I'm also it. not sure why Daisy Solomon didn't get a cool moniker, but it Probably was because she was less prominent because McClellan was like a very well-known architect. Mm. So cool. And a human letter. Love (sighs) the name Elspeth. 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 Mm -hmm. Jumping right over the pond to the United States because a lot of bullshit went down here as well. Mm -hmm. 
the demand for women's suffrage began to gather strength in the 1840s, emerging from the broader movement for women's rights. In 1848, the Seneca Falls Convention, which was the first women's rights convention, passed a resolution in favor of women's suffrage, despite opposition from some of its organizers who believed that the idea of women's equality was too extreme for some of them. There are always going to be people within the movement holding Mm -hmm. the movement back. I I mean, yeah. I still think it's too extreme, honestly. (laughs) I know. There might have been organizers who weren't necessarily in favor of passing this resolution. Mm -hmm. Like, not that it wasn't important, but maybe they thought that the resolution or like, okay, absolute 50-50 equality is just a little little much. Yeah, we could do like 60-40. I know there were people who were like women who were against the, and we'll kind of get to it, an amendment to the Civil Rights Act in in the 1960s because- they, if they were treated exactly the same as men, they would also lose certain protections that only women got and not, and that men didn't receive, like in the workforce and like with the there military. There are still people and shit against like yeah, a thousand the percent. equal rights so amendment. Like, yeah. It makes, I get it, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's like you got to take the good with the bad if you want yeah. things to be. And like, of course, we're, we're looking back at this. 150 plus right. years Through later and being like lens. too extreme. Right. Mm-hmm. But really at the time, you know, and like you think of things happening today, it's perfectly it's- logical in today's context to be on the fence about certain things. Mm-hmm. It's basically the same issue as like discussing whether defund the police is like the right slogan or not. You know, like it at the time sounded extreme coming out of nowhere. And there are mm-hmm. people who are like, well, from a PR perspective, maybe we should, like, start mm-hmm. slow and, like, go piecemeal and go step by step and, like, work right. towards blah, blah, blah. Like, it's the same. There are also. Humans don't change. It's the same there fucking There are plenty shit. of movements we're going to look back on years later, 100 years later, and go, wow, why mm-hmm. was this so hard to get on board with? Well, we there won't because also, we will be mercifully we'll be dead. dead. Gleefully mm-hmm. dead. <laughs> Oh, gratefully dead. Mercifully dead in a hundred years. Well, at least for this specific example, there are also a lot of nuances happening at the time. Keep in mind, this is 1848. This was was a while ago. Mm -hmm. We'll kind of get back to it. The first national suffrage organizations were established in 1869 when two competing organizations were formed, one led by Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton, and the other by Lucy Stone and Frances Ellen Watkins Harper, who I know Kenyon's covering, so I'm not going to get into her story because it's really fucking cool. Mm -hmm. I'll let Kenyon do that. After years of rivalry, they merged in 1890 as the National American Woman Suffrage Association, or NAWSA, which I will be referring to it as from here on out. When Anthony as its leading force, or sorry, with Anthony as its leading force. Subsequently, the organization filed several lawsuits in the early 1870s and thought that they were really making progress with this. Susan B. Anthony actually voted successfully in 1872, but she was arrested and found guilty for it, which made headlines and mm. all over the country and reinvigorated the movement. So it wasn't. It wasn't really that bad of a was situation a good at the move. time. Yeah. yeah. In 1875, the Supreme Court ruled against the group, so they began a decades-long campaign to amend the U.S. Constitution to ensure suffrage for women. So 
the suffragettes did a lot of boots on the ground, very persistent, very brave, difficult work that we are grateful for today. But to cast the movement as progressive is discounting a whole lot of racism, anti-Semitism, colonialism, and a bunch of other ugly isms that need to be addressed in order to see the full picture of the suffrage movement and its effects. Mm -hmm. So, for example, Susan B. Anthony joined with NALSA leadership to adopt a platform of states' rights. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the dog whistle for pro-segregation racism, among other things. Yeah, she was... Um, a mess. Yeah. As was Elizabeth yeah. Cady Stanton. Yeah, a lot of them As were a fucking mess. As was the woman mess. I'm covering today. Yeah. We'll get to Messy. Elizabeth Cady Stanton. Mm. So they, they sided with these certain political issues, number one, because they didn't affect them or mm -hmm. their peers personally. And number two, their priority was to advance women's rights. And they had to get certain parties on board with that. Mm-hmm. So they did this in order to try to lure the South into supporting their cause. Mm -hmm. So they're like, we don't want all women to vote. Right. They're like, don't women. worry. Yeah. Yeah. Wink, wink. Well, to have an amendment to the Constitution passed, you need two thirds of states to vote mm -hmm. in favor of it. So like mm -hmm. they literally, I mean, they didn't have to court the South in this way, but like there weren't many other ways to do it. Right. Math <laughs> like mathematically. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So not excusing um, it, just saying. No, but that was that, that was, was the their context. reasoning. Yeah, that's that's the context of the tactic that they're using. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is rooted in racism and white supremacy. Obviously. So here we go. This was in response to the passage of the 15th Amendment, which again allowed black men to vote, mm -hmm. but not women, not any women. Elizabeth Cady Stanton has this whole back catalog of racist public statements. And here's a here's a quote from a book called Elizabeth Cady Stanton, An American Life by Lori D. Ginsburg. Quote, Elizabeth Cady Stanton's positions on the relative worthiness of black men and white women as citizens. <gasps> Off to a great yeah. start. Let's start ranking Relative people. worthiness of no, human that's beings. No, literally she was comparing black I men. Know. Black, oh, yeah, black we know. women weren't even on the table. Oh, right. yeah. It was white women and black men. Yeah. That's it was what it was. The 2008 presidential election all over again where people were just like, who do you think will defeat oppression first? It's either black men or white women and mm -hmm. it's a it's a horse race and there can only be one. Wolf. Yep. <laughs> So her choice of all too familiar racist language had broad and lasting consequences, both theoretical and strategic, for the movement she helped to lead. By claiming that some American citizens were more worthy of rights than others, Stanton helped lay the groundwork for a defense of women's rights based on race, respectability, religion, and class that would be hard to shake. Shirley Stanton and Anthony understood this when they reported on the formation of a white woman's suffrage association in Washington, D.C., or admitted that the proposed 15th Amendment rouses women's prejudices against the Negro. Mm -hmm. Well, that was a quote while increasing, quote, his contempt and hostility toward her as an equal. Furthermore, this appeal to prejudice, whether intentional or not, worked. One woman wrote Stanton and Anthony's newspaper, The Revolution, to declare that she had, quote, never thought or cared about voting till the Negroes began to vote. 
but now, quote, felt my self-respect rise. If like, black men can vote, she's so horrified. Exactly. Now she's moved to action because how dare black men get the vote before her? It's exactly. also a divide and conquer strategy because it was like, well, we don't want to give everybody power. So we're going to divide this movement that had been kind of commingling in the abolitionist movement and suffrage movement together, not like yeah. peaceably, but they we had can't been win working them all. Let's yeah, split together. this down the middle. Yep. Yep, exactly. So she went on, quote, if educated women are not as fit to decide who shall be the rulers of the country as field hands, then where's the use of culture or any brain at all? Jesus One might as well Christ. have been born on the plantation. Woof. Wow. And I got to say here, too. Yes, there's strategy behind this. Like Kenyon said, we're going to divide and conquer. But that said, the racist overtones yeah, that it's enveloped in everything the strategy is just a bonus. Every single aspect of this of this society at this time in this country among white people, this was not outrageous. Right. This was well, not also, an outlier. Like something that intersectionality teaches us is that like Yes, there are these multiple identities, but also these multiple identities can't exist without the other. So, mm -hmm. like, racism. You can't just leave one in the dust to get what you want. Like, and that's one the whole... can't exist without another one existing. So, like, racism right. couldn't exist if misogyny didn't exist, and vice versa. Like, it all is part of a system of oppression. It's and a it wheel. It all correlates. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's if you're going wheel. to oppress one group then you could then everything else is just window dressing like you could oppress any group mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay so all that said elizabeth katie stanton and her contemporaries like i just said were far from outliers when it comes to universal discrimination and the suffrage movement i'm going to end with a really good quote from a pbs article which is in my citation notes if you're interested your side piece pbs <laughs> PBS is my side piece. Yeah, Britannica's your your bottom bitch, and PBS mm -hmm. is your side piece. Mm -hmm. Oh, Corey's home. <laughs> <laughs> and Corey's your husband. The back door slams. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. The big PBS head just runs the wind through the backyard, <laughs> clutching shoes and clothes. Got a bra. His jeans. God, I have Dangling literally belt, done slapping that. Slapping anyway. his ankle. <laughs> Barefoot. Getting flashbacks. Someone listening, can you illustrate the PBS head just making a break for it with clutching all of their clothes? Okay. Through the sliding glass Hangover doors. circles under their eyes. <laughs> their eye. Yeah, it's just one eye. Okay. Okay. Quote The women's suffrage movement was inspired by indigenous civilizations in which women often held leadership positions inside and outside the home to what we were saying earlier. Additionally, the women's suffrage movement had its roots in the abolitionist movement. Initially, women, free people of color, and enslaved people bonded over a mutual desire for suffrage. Women were often invited to speak at abolitionist group meetings, allowing them to utilize their platform to call for change. Frederick Douglass, ever heard of him? <laughs> if not, he was an abolitionist and reformer. And was excellent one excellent writer, so read his <laughs> shit. Mm-hmm was one of the 31 men and the only African-American present 
to sign the Declaration of Sentiments at the Seneca Falls Women's Rights Convention in 1848. He also established the American Equal Rights Association alongside Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony, the two that we were talking about, well, all this racial remarks. Also, yeah, like we said, Frederick Douglass is a black man. So Mm -hmm. at this time, they were in cahoots. Mm Mm-hmm. So they both joined, they all joined together advocating for universal voting rights. While the 15th Amendment prevented the U.S. government and states from denying citizens the right to vote based on, quote, race, color, or previous condition of servitude, it did not include sex as a protected category. Mm -hmm. A deep divide in the suffrage movement emerged and expanded. Recognizing that the South was still recovering from their loss in the war, Grappling with a future without slavery and a lack of support within the U.S. Congress for universal suffrage, some black suffragists, including Frederick Douglass and Francis Ellen Watkins Harper, advocated for the endorsement of the 15th Amendment as it was written. Many white leaders within the women's suffrage movement felt betrayed and their reactions exposed their racism and elitism. I mean, it's also like, yes, it didn't include sex, but... It also, it doesn't say men. It says Mm -hmm. citizens. Mm -hmm. Like, all of this is just a fucked up interpretation of the Constitution to begin with. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I feel like they maybe on some levels intentionally left it vague. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Left it up for debate Mm -hmm. to see how things kind of shook out. Maybe. I mean, when the Constitution was first written, I don't think it was really conceivable. Well, we're talking about this amendment, not the Constitution. Yeah. This is just the 15th Amendment. I'm just saying, like, I think it's especially right now with, like, what's going on at the Supreme Court now, it's, like, really important to think about how much hinges on the makeup of the current court at the time Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. their personal interpretations and readings of the exact text because a lot of things when you're in the moment and in the time period you don't realize are interpretive but are completely interpretive and Mm -hmm. therefore like subject to change Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. sorry i'll stop (laughs) i mean you won't but it's okay fine (laughs) i just have very little left to go I just have very little left in my tank, but it's fine. (laughs) I'm just running on empty here. (laughs) Okay, continuing the quote. The suffragists shifted their focus to single-mindedly pursuing voting rights for white women. Leveraging their power and privilege, they made a conscious decision to exclude BIPOC women from their movement. Mm -hmm. In the end, women's rights to vote has longstanding effects on society. By the way, this is my this is me talking now. It's the end of the quote. Studies have found links between women's suffrage and things like increased spending on schools and an uptick in school enrollment. And one study found that as American women gained the right to vote in different parts of the country, child mortality rates decreased by up to 15 percent. Wow. So there are a bazillion reasons why women need representation in government. I don't mm-hmm. think we need to run through the list. Right. First of all, it's just equality. Mm-hmm. But secondly, it has very real world effects, like literal decreased death rates. Mm-hmm. So so when was it? Oh, my God. This is embarrassing. Was it the 21st Amendment that women were granted the right to vote? What amendment were women granted? The 19th granted? Amendment. 
the that 19th was passed Amendment. In, the, in 1920 okay. granted white women the right to vote. Well, and okay. Then, so here's the thing. Like, again, back to this, like, interpretation issue. Like, the 19th Amendment granted, like, technically granted all women the right to vote. It didn't say white women. It was interpreted to only be white women and also, like, ancillary laws state by state and discrimination prevented women of color from yeah. accessing right. the ballot box. So but they had the right to vote. Well, they they were black more than they were women. Right. Right. So these they, rules like the poll taxes and the literacy and the blah, 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 the Jim Crow, the whatever, none of that got taken care of until the Voting Rights Act in, right. in the 60s. Exactly. Right. But I feel like it's important to draw this distinction because while it's necessary to like not just say like, oh, well, women have had the right to vote for 100 years. So it's like, mm-hmm. well, actually, no, a lot of a lot of women haven't. They've had they've had the positive right to vote. But fucked up state laws have prevented them from being able to exercise that right. And that process is still happening today. Yeah, very Mm -hmm. much so. And that is why it's so important to recognize that it's not just like, okay, well, we passed this amendment and and Mm -hmm. they have the right and therefore it's done. They're always going to find ways to, they're always going to find ways to to fuck that up. Always. I just feel like, I don't know, am I making any sense about drawing that distinction? It's like when people say, like, well, the 19th Amendment granted white women the right to vote. I mean, like, I get what you're saying, but also, like, like I get that that language isn't in that constitutional amendment. But it's also, it needed to be distinct to omit any kind of, like, basis of religion, sex, race. Discrimination. discrimination because there were other things yes. existing in the Constitution that work hand-in-hand with the 19th amend- Amendment that did explicitly exclude, black, like, black people, indigenous people of color. So, like, those amendments are, are exist on the same plane. And because the 19th Amendment was reached, like, with an active knowledge that this amendment, as written, even vague without saying white, would only grant white women the well, right no, to vote. Well, no, because it happened after the 15th Amendment. You know what I mean? So, like, what I'm trying to say is, if you, if there weren't other discriminatory laws put in place, chronologically, the 15th Amendment granted men of color and formerly enslaved men the right to vote, in theory, mm-hmm. not in vast practice. And then later, the 19th Amendment granted as it's written, women the right to vote. Mm -hmm. So at that time, women of color should have been allowed to vote and technically were allowed to vote. They didn't have any kind of real... Right. They, they didn't have vote. like they didn't have like constitutional their protection right, from states' rights yeah, at that their, time under the 19th or any amendment. Existed and were being right. actively denied to them through these other state laws. Right. Which For were, example, Jim Crow stuff. Exactly. exactly yeah. Which were patently unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. But and, and that, that is and that's still happening true. now. And and on the unfortunate reality of like the majority of the suffragist movement is that like like white activists during that time were aware of those disparities yes. and aligned and not with anti-blackness and yeah. racism to get what they wanted. And, and, and we'll kind of get to it in my case too. And like made promises to women of color that then 
they fucking the second they got the right to vote yeah. we're like well bye oh we're good bye never yeah. mind yeah exactly so yeah. it's just like it's more complicated than the amendment says only white women can vote you're absolutely right about right. that well there's all sorts of nuances and i think a, a a way to sort of leave this would just be a reminder that laws and legislation are living they're right. fucking alive we mm-hmm. deal with it every day. Mm-hmm. I think it's a cop out when people say, "Oh, I don't get involved in politics." Like, oh, oh. okay, what that a privilege! Is, it's, it's being oh. shaped every single election, every Supreme Court nominee, every single amendment that's it's passed. Like, it huh. evolves. It's living. Mm-hmm. So you have to pay attention. You have to protect these rights because they are not guaranteed. No. For the and rest can, of your lifetime or generations to come, they're they can really be not withheld mm-hmm. through interpretation and and stupid shitty state laws. They can mm-hmm. be reinterpreted. They can be rescinded, mm-hmm. and we will get to that in my case. And like you know, think about like Reconstruction. Right after the end of the Civil War, there were you know a spate of like black set. I don't know about senators, but like Congress people and mm-hmm. like local elected officials who were black men in the mm-hmm. south and then all of that back of all of it, slid yeah. and they were all then they couldn't even vote mm-hmm. for decades mm-hmm. so so don't take any of this shit for granted people yeah it's yep. it's important to know our history obviously there are there's problematic elements of fucking everything mm-hmm so mm-hmm. I, it's good that we're addressing these that we're discussing these yeah we can't just I like idolize a movement and not like you know, it's like I, I idolization politics. Like we're supposed to be have a critical eye, right, about these things because these disparities exist, and if we don't acknowledge and confront them, then they'll continue to exist. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. All right. I think we've said we're what needs to, to be really said. Good start. Oh, my do face. you? Because we haven't even gotten started. Look at how red Your my face, face is right is now. Your face is really red. I, my face is bright red. I'm like amped up. All right, let's let's cool down. Here, <laughs> Canyon, get a ice water. I'm gonna Whoop. get some water. I had less than one glass of wine. I'm I've just. had like two <laughs> sips of wine and then immediately got heartburn. So that's we're doing great over here too. It's a great sode. Let's hear a quick word from our sponsors, please, if we still have any. (laughs) (laughs) So I kind of assumed that acne was a thing in your teen years. Oh, no. And not that it would extend into, say, your mid-30s. Your late-30s, even. (laughs) But that has been my experience. I have been dealing with, you know, like breakouts around my period or just like in general kind of hormonal related acne for years Mm -hmm. now. And Curology has been the best system that I have found to treat it. I mean, I've just been blown away by the results from Curology. They are actually amazing. I, like you, I have hormonal acne. I also have extremely dry skin, which means I have to think about like early onset fine lines Mm -hmm. because I have no oil in my skin whatsoever. (laughs) And by, you know, literally doing this podcast was how I heard about Curology. And then I actually discovered that I have a couple friends who use it and they were like, yes, I'm so glad that you got the sponsor because they are amazing. So Curology is game-changing custom skincare made for you by a dermatology provider. They'll create a custom prescription cream for your specific goals. 
Whether that's tackling acne, like we said, clogged pores, skin texture, dark spots, fine lines, or something else. Like for me, it was moisture. Mm -hmm. I needed moisture. You start by taking a short online skin quiz and uploading photos. And if it's a good fit, they'll ship you your formula right to your door. It even has your name on the bottle. Like I have this whole thing customized Mm -hmm. and it has like a cream for me to use in the morning and then a different one in the evening. And then I have a very gentle cleanser and it has been an absolute game changer, like it says. Yeah, it's just so like simple and I love Mm -hmm. that it's also custom. So like, Mm -hmm. for example, like everybody's skincare needs are different and also everybody's like lifestyle is different and needs in that way. So like the fact that I have been trying to conceive, they Mm -hmm. took that into account and made sure that there weren't any ingredients in my products that Mm -hmm. are, you know, counter and indicated for that. I just thought yeah. that that was really, like, thoughtful and helpful. And that personalized care, you know, being able to message with your provider to make sure that those factors are taken into account. You know, it's amazing. And it's just so convenient. Like, you get everything you need in one box that's labeled. It literally tells you, like, when to use it. It couldn't be easier. It's incredible. And it arrives, like, they, like, really exactly know when mm-hmm. to send that next box in your subscription. Mm-hmm. Like, you're just, you're never out. Yep. So get started with Curology just like we did with a free 30-day trial at Curology.com slash gals. Just pay $5 for any shipping and handling. That's C-U-R-O-L-O-G-Y dot com slash G-A-L-S to start your free 30-day trial. Cancel any time. Prescription subject to consultation. Treat your skin. Treat it. So online shopping can be daunting, even though I also don't want to in-person shop. No, I do not. So, you know, with online shopping, you never quite know if things are going to fit. Sometimes the returns are difficult. Like, ah, that's that's one of my biggest pet peeves is having Mm -hmm. to, like, go to the post office to send returns. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. I just, I just can't stand it. And sometimes you don't even know, like, where to shop to begin with, you know? Right. It's like you're, uh, I don't even know what stores are cool anymore. hmm So this season, let Stitch Fix do all that hard work for you. Oh, my gosh. I, this is the most important relationship in my life, is my relationship with my Stitch Fix, like, stylist. Mm-hmm. They nail it. Stitch Fix Freestyle is a shop built just for you. They are your trusted style destination where you can discover and instantly buy curated items based on your style, likes, and lifestyle. So whether you're looking for a brand that you love or you want to try something new, at Stitch Fix Freestyle, you can shop over a thousand brands and styles personalized to your size and fit. They send me jeans that fit perfectly. That's incredible because your body is My body beautiful and stunning, but also is not easy to buy jeans for. Correct. Yeah, she's a Frankenstein's monster, honey. <laughs> this butt is huge. And that waist is tiny. It's 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 bonkers. I will go into a mall, which like that's just don't do that. Uh take my advice, don't do that. But I will go to 10 stores and try on 500 pairs of jeans. I'll be sweating. Mm-hmm. 
cranky. You don't know where to put your coat. No clue what to do. And then by the end, I have absolutely nothing to show for it. I feel super defeated. I'm letting like negative self-talk infect my brain. Mm -hmm. And with Stitch Fix, a box just arrives. Everything fits beautifully. And what I don't want, I stick in a pre-packed, like a a, a mailer that they send you that's pre-addressed, prepaid. Mm -hmm. And I just hand it to my mail carrier when I'm when I'm sending stuff back. So easy. Which I rarely do. And you can get styles for workouts. You can get work wear, lounging around the house, you know, a night out on the town. Stitch Fix Freestyle has clothes for any occasion. And there's no subscription required. And they offer free shipping returns and exchanges. So you can really customize this to be exactly the kind of shopping experience that you want it to be. It's amazing. Mm Mm-hmm. So get started today by filling out your style quiz at stitchfix.com slash gals, G-A-L-S. That's stitchfix.com slash gals to try Stitch Fix Freestyle. Stitchfix.com slash gals and treat your wardrobe. Treat it. Okay, so are we ready for my case? Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Well, never. <laughs> so I don't Lucy, know why you ask. Lucy referenced this mm. person a couple times at the top because she was very important and influential. Very and, important. And also a woman of color and an abolitionist and a suffragette and a brilliant writer and just an amazing human being. So Frances Ellen Watkins and then later uh, Harper was born in Baltimore in 1825. And at that time, Maryland was a slave state. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Francis was born a free child to free parents. Mm-hmm. But both of her parents, and I couldn't actually find their names, and some say that their names have been like lost to history, died in 1828, mm. which left Francis an orphan. I think she was, so she was around three years old. She was taken in by her maternal aunt and uncle, Henrietta and Reverend William J. Watkins, who gave Francis their surname. Reverend Watkins was a prominent figure in the community. He was a civil rights activist and abolitionist in addition to serving as a minister at the Sharp Street African Methodist Episcopal Church, which I didn't know that Methodist and Episcopal could be together in one thing. I thought those were different things. Never understand anything. Maybe it's like a slash. Like, what the fuck is the difference? Mm -hmm. True crime comedy. Right. Yeah. I, I, like Catholicism is like the extreme and then everything else is just sort of the same. Mm-hmm. Zach, as a Jewish person, uh, he like just considers all Christianity Catholicism. Right. He oh, just no. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. He like, And all he, Jews are Hasidic. Okay. Right. I know. Yeah. But I know. It's totally. Yeah. So he just he'll like constantly be like, oh, well, you know, the Catholics. I'm like, that's not they're not Catholic. The they're Catholics. fucking Baptists. <laughs> like they're very, it's not. Anyway. Bless his heart. Yeah. <laughs> so it's all what you know. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, again, Reverend Watkins, her uncle slash new father figure, also uh, ran a school called the Watkins Academy for Negro Youth, where Frances would be educated until she was 13. And Reverend Watkins was, like, very caring and, like, attentive, but also, like, very strict and had, like, very high standards for Mm -hmm. his students and especially for Frances and was, like, a bit of a task master, but... 
obviously like it paid off for Francis. Mm-hmm. He just had like super, super high academic standards for people right. going through his school. Well, which I'm sure you kind of had to for it's his daughter and his school. And, right. you know, as <laughs> black folks living in. Like, there was a lot of pressure to right. be the best one could be because mm-hmm. there was a feeling of like representing an entire community. Mm-hmm. So at this point, as was typical for the time period, Frances left school to find a job. She found work as a nursemaid and a seamstress for a white family that owned a bookstore. And this gave her the opportunity to continue her education like on her own in her free time. So she spent basically any spare time that she had in the bookstore reading and writing. It was a very ideal job for her mm-hmm. as a teen. Yeah, I'll say. I know. Lucy's like, I want to work in a bookstore. Yeah, I do. If you I can't get your job at the funeral bookstore. home, that would have been. <laughs> funeral home slash bookstore slash dive bar slash <gasps> thrift store. Okay, open this. <laughs> Business idea. <laughs> Imagine the loan application. What category are you registering in as a business? (laughs) Entertainment. Shop slash funeral home slash bookshop slash dive bar. (laughs) You know. We contain multitudes. You get it, right? You get it. You get it. Maybe some some plant store pop-ups on the weekend. Oh, definitely plants. I'm going to click entertainment, (laughs) et cetera. Oddities plus Tit-shaped planters. With a redemption center out back. Yes. Oh, yeah. Recycling hub. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) My God. Oh, my God. I'm going to start sketching now. Oh, yeah. And like a burger restaurant or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, people get hungry. (laughs) At a funeral home. Yeah. They do. <laughs> they do. I mean, that's We a- did. We brought snacks to Jessica's funeral. Yes, we did. Sure did. We snuck M&M's into her coffin. We did sneak M&M's into her coffin. I was snacking during the eulogy. <laughs> Got to. Okay, so. It's what she would have wanted. It is. It is. <laughs> so at just 20 years old, Frances published her first book of poetry titled Forest Leaves. And then in some uh, iterations, it was entitled Autumn Leaves. House of Leaves. House of oh, Leaves. <laughs> the hardest book to read ever written. I own have it. I have, it. I have not attempted it. I own it yet. and I have attempted it and it's nuts. I own it and I've read it and I liked it. Don't fucking ask me what it's about though. I don't know. It's about a house that looks it's way smaller on the outside. Yeah, okay. It's a fucking trip. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this book was thought to be completely lost to history until a single copy was discovered in Baltimore by a scholar named Johanna Ortner in the 2010s. So how so cool how is that? So how many copies did she pu- couldn't publish that many copies? Probably didn't yeah. publish that many copies and, you know, didn't a lot didn't survive. And then they found this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So then in 1850, when Frances was 26, she left Baltimore after accepting a job teaching home ec, god damn it, at Union Seminary, this like brilliant mm-hmm. poet and author. Yeah. They're like, you, you're a woman. You can yeah. teach You can do this. She's like, I'm not married or a mom, but yeah, I guess I can fucking sew some shit. A school for black students near Columbus, Ohio. And here she was blazing yet another trail as the school's first female teacher. 
Not long after she made this move, however, her home state of Maryland passed a law or like started enforcing an old law, I think, stating that free African-Americans were no longer to be permitted to enter the state of Maryland. Mm. And if found, they could be imprisoned and sold into slavery. Oh, God. Like previously free blacks Mm -hmm. could become enslaved. Was Mm -hmm. that super uncommon? I don't think so. I mean, like even in, you know, 12 Years a Slave is that the movie is based on true events and there were like hustles and wranglers to literally round up free black Americans or formerly enslaved black Americans to basically sell them back into slavery in other states. So I'm sure stuff like that. I've heard of that in a lot of like, like movies, but I don't know if it's like exaggerated. Oh no, that absolutely happened. There Mm. were absolutely like bounty hunters who would track down and find. Right. Formerly enslaved people who had escaped and become free that way. And sometimes they, if they were, you know, particularly ruthless, whatever, sometimes they would like fudge the identities and like literally just kidnap free black people. I was going to say, Mm -hmm. like, uh, not not in the cases of escaped enslaved people, but in the cases of black Americans who've been free their whole lives. I think it's safe to assume that under the right circumstances, any black Americans born free or otherwise were susceptible to that kind of... Yeah. I think that that definitely happened. It's not like we had like fingerprinting and like databases of identities. You know, like I think if if they could get away with it, they fucking Mm -hmm. did it. Mm -hmm. Oh, God, I can't. This is even more kind of like, I mean, what can be more malicious than that? But like this basically at the time, and I started to go down this rabbit hole and we can't get into all of it. But at the time, more and more formerly, more and more enslaved blacks in Maryland were being manumitted or set free in quotes by their white enslavers Mm -hmm. because the agriculture needs were changing. And so like the white enslavers didn't need the labor of enslaved people as much. Mm -hmm. And so they didn't want to like pay to like feed them anymore. And so they were setting free again in quotes, like large swathes of these formerly enslaved people in Maryland. And the government was like, "Eh, we don't want a bunch of free black people running around. We need to get them out of here. And so they passed these laws or started enforcing these old laws on the books that they were like, any like new and free black people who come into Maryland or like cross state lines into Maryland. Immigrants. Yeah. Can just be enslaved and Mm -hmm. sent elsewhere, basically. Got it. So it's to terrorize free black people in the state Mm -hmm. to make them want to leave the state. Right. So at this time, about 49% of black people in Maryland were free and they're dealing with all these different laws. And so some of these laws included state-sponsored schemes to transport free black people, basically ship them off to deport. Yeah. Well, yeah, but deport, except they were born in the U.S. Right. Oh, yeah. Ship them off to fucking Liberia, Mm -hmm. which was like, Literally Liberia? Literally Liberia. There was like a tiny colony there that had been redubbed the Republic of Maryland. Oh, my God. And like more than a thousand people were shipped 
over to Liberia with no money, resources, assets, consent, anything. Oh, my God. That's awful. Yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So... That's a whole different rabbit hole. Yeah. That, that, There's yeah. a lot of rabbit holes in this There's episode. so yeah. many rabbit holes. Yeah. And then also Maryland put up a thing where formerly enslaved people who had been manumitted were, and again, this is before the Emancipation Proclamation. This is people who were manumitted by their former enslavers, were given a deadline to get the fuck out of Maryland because, quote, unemployed adult free people of color without visible means of support could be re-enslaved at the discretion of local sheriffs. So it's basically if you're a, f- a free black adult and you're not, you don't have legal employment, mm-hmm. you can, we'll just round you up and sell you back into slavery. Mm-hmm. Or what's a visible means of support? Employment? Employment. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. There are still vagrancy laws today. Anyway, Mm -hmm. so when this horror of a free black person being enslaved, like re-enslaved, happened to a Maryland man in 1853, and then he subsequently died trying to escape his re-enslavement, a switch was flipped for Frances, and soon thereafter she left her teaching job, teaching home ec, and devoted herself full-time for abolitionist causes and her writing career. So she was like, this is fucked. Mm-hmm. You know, her uncle slash father figure was a staunch abolitionist. So she was like, I need to just focus on this because this is fucking wild what's going on. So she moved in with William and Letitia George Still, who were prominent abolitionists and friends of her uncle. And then William Still would eventually become known as the, quote, father of the Underground Railroad which I didn't know. I'd actually never even heard of him. Hmm. His name sounded familiar. Hmm. There we go. There you go. So she was supported financially by them. Basically, they recognized her talent for writing and and speaking publicly on these issues. And they were like, okay, don't worry about like a nine to five job. Focus on this work and like you can live with us and we'll like pay for your room and board and stuff. Right. So Frances began writing poetry for anti-slavery newspapers, her second book, Poems on Miscellaneous Subjects, oh. uh, I know, was published in 1854, and it was so popular that it would be reprinted several times in the coming years. Wow. Around this time, she also joined the American Anti-Slavery Society and became a traveling lecturer, which is, like, still hard today. Yeah. To have that be your life. And she managed to do this as a single woman of color Mm. in 1854. That's fucking incredible. Especially given all that shit Mm -hmm. that was happening. God. So in 1854, she delivered her first anti-slavery speech, which she titled, quote, The Elevation and Education of Our People. It was such a success and her speeches came to be in such high demand that she spent most of her time between 1856 and 1860 traveling around the eastern and midwestern states as well as Canada and delivering lectures. Throughout, though, Frances faced intense gender and racial discrimination, something that she was extremely open about in her speeches. And I just love this next part because it it definitely, like, slaps us northerners in the face for, like, Mm -hmm. thinking that we're so superior when it comes to these issues when we're fucking not. Mm -hmm. So on one occasion while delivering a speech in Pennsylvania, she stated... 
Now let me tell you about Pennsylvania. (laughs) (laughs) I have been traveling nearly four years and have been in every New England state, in New York, Canada, Ohio. But of all these places, this is about the meanest of all. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) not a fan of Pennsylvania. It was us in Cleveland. She is (laughs) making it clear. (laughs) In in 1858, so literally before the Civil War, Mm -hmm. Francis refused to ride in the, quote, colored section of a segregated trolley car in Philadelphia. Oh, my Mm -hmm. God. This was 97 years before Rosa Parks. Holy shit. I mean, she is brave. Yeah. Yeah. Throughout her long. Not fucking around. No. No. (laughs) Throughout her long lecture tour, Frances never stopped writing. She published about 80 poems in numerous anti slavery journals. In 1859, she published a short story called The Two Offers in the Anglo African newspaper, which made her the first black woman to publish a short story in, I don't know about North America, but definitely in the U.S. Between 1868 and 1888, she had three novels. She had written serialized in newspapers. And in 1892, she published a novel called Lola Leroy, which was one of the first novels by a black woman to be published in the U.S. Who has the time? I know. She has all this time. Books of poetry, speaking engagements, constantly on the road, constantly traveling, and like also writing novels. Yeah. She's basically Stacey Abrams. mm -hmm. Upending you know, racial segregation rules all over the country. Right. So throughout her long and prolific writing career, Frances remained dedicated to the cause of civil rights and served as a mentor to many other black writers and journalists. In 1860, Frances Watkins married a widower named Fenton Harper and began... Fenton. Fenton. That's a cute name. Mm -hmm. Wait, fentanyl. Never mind. Yeah. It's ruined. (laughs) It's like everything else. Using his last name. So that's where we get the Harper, Francis Ellen Watkins Harper. Got it. The couple had a daughter together whom they named Mary Francis Harper, and Francis also helped raise his three children from a previous marriage. Now she's also a fucking mom and a stepmom. Mm Mm-hmm. God. I know. Because with all that time she has. She's a powerhouse. Right. I love her. Also, like, what is 1860 minus 1825? How old is she at this point? 35. Okay, so all this, and she's our age. Mm-hmm. And to have your first child at 35 back then yeah, could not have been easy. Mm-hmm. It's not fucking easy now. Mm-hmm. So uh, sadly, Fenton Harper, her husband, died only four years after they got married. Aww. After the Civil War ended, Frances Watkins Harper, along with her daughter Mary, moved to the South to teach newly freed black people during the Reconstruction era. Good so that also God. takes fucking guts. Mm-hmm. You're like, yeah. I'm going to go into the fray. With my daughter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She went where the need, where she felt the need was strongest. Yeah. I Jesus. mean, and, and this is not to devalue anything that this amazing woman is doing, but it's not like there was really anywhere that's going to be safe from all of safe these issues. Safer than the South. Right. I mean, I this suppose in, in some ways protected yeah. by law, but, you know, yeah, yeah she's definitely facing... These same deeply horrific, like intersectional mm-hmm. challenges, mm-hmm. kind of wherever she goes. So I, I think that show that speaks to, like what you're saying, Kenyon, mm-hmm. even deeper that she's going where like the need is greatest, right? Mm-hmm. So by this point, she's a household name in a lot of circles, especially abolitionist circles. 
In the years following the Civil War, she was involved in promoting numerous progressive causes, including prohibition. So not not everyone can be right all the time. Mm -hmm. We'll forgive you, Frances, (laughs) for supporting prohibition. Mm -hmm. And also women's suffrage. So at one point... just to back up what Amanda was saying, like the the tension, mm-hmm. she was uh, like a, a prominent figure, so she was a target, mm-hmm. and she was just following wherever like the the strongest tension was. Yeah, she was a I target. The, the she was a woman she, of color. Yeah. She was a single mom. Mm-hmm. She's got a target on her fucking back. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean it's she's fucking badass. That's wild. So at one point, she joined forces with Frances Willard, a women's suffragist and uh, president of the women, Women's Christian Temperance Union. Again, we're, I'm sorry, it's, you know, you can't, it's, it's an unfortunate can't, can't part of her legacy. <laughs> can't win them all. <laughs> one source states that, quote, activists like Harper and Frances Willard campaigned not only for racial and sexual equality, but also for a new understanding of the federal government's responsibility to protect rights, regulate morality. And promote social welfare. But she soon became disillusioned and she felt that Willard only gave priority to white women's concerns and oh. ignored her efforts to promote racial justice, such as working towards an anti-lynching law mm-hmm. or the abolition of the convict lease system, which was basically just slavery by another name mm-hmm. along with prisons in post-Civil War South. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Although she would continue to collaborate with white activists, Frances came to feel that it was extremely important that black people have their own organizations where they could set their own priorities and not always be made to feel like second class citizens, even within activist circles. Mm-hmm. Or like a perk, like, oh, women get the right to vote. And that's like the cherry on top, I guess we'll, you know, give some to black women or whatever. Right. Or just like, like a, a side note. She's working so hard. She's so brilliant. She's never going to be given a leadership position in these, like, women's suffragette movements because Mm -hmm. there are all these white women clogging the fucking leadership boards. Mm -hmm. So in 1866, she delivered a speech at the National Women's Rights Convention in New York City titled We Are All Bound Up Together, in which she stated, quote, We are all bound up together in one great bundle of humanity, and society cannot trample on the weakest and feeblest of its members without receiving the curse in its own soul. You tried that in the case of the Negro. You white women speak here of rights. I speak of wrongs. I, as a colored woman, have had in this country an education which has made me feel as if I were in the situation of Ishmael. My, I don't really understand. My hand against every man and every man's hand against me. While there exists this brutal element in society which tramples upon the feeble and treads down the weak, I tell you that if there is any class of people who need to be lifted out of their airy nothings and selfishness, it is the white women of America. Mm-hmm. Oh. Still true. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so after this speech, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm the- sure that turned off some of the white people. I think there was some (laughs) fan waving. Mm -hmm. Pearl clutching. (laughs) Pearl clutching. Pearl clutching. Mo in my hoop skirts. (laughs) I have to get some air. (laughs) I'm going to write about this in my needlepoint. Yes. (laughs) I hope someone's taking minutes. Where do I leave a Yelp review? Oh, more. (laughs) I want to speak to your manager. manager. (laughs) 
So they did agree to form the American Equal Rights Association, which specifically incorporated African-American suffrage into the women's suffrage movement. But this organization was really short-lived and it dissolved shortly after Congress proposed the 15th Amendment, divide and conquer. Mm -hmm. So some of the suffragists in the AERA, most prominently Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton, did not support the 15th Amendment. We already went into this. I'm not going to go into all that. Francis, on the other hand, did not want to undermine the progress of black men by pitting women's suffrage against black suffrage. So she was kind of like, look, it doesn't it doesn't have to be one or the other. But if they're handing out rights, mm-hmm. take mm-hmm. take what you can now as long as you fucking help us later. Right. Mm-hmm. So as a result, this group divided into two separate groups, the National Woman Suffrage Association which did not support the amendment, and the American Woman Suffrage Association, which did. So scholars of this time period have proposed that it was this suffrage split that alienated Frances Watkins Harper and other black activists from the women's suffrage movement. Indeed, despite her dedication to and prolonged involvement with the movement, Frances Watkins Harper's name is rarely mentioned in connection with women's suffrage today, and I had never heard of her. Mm-hmm. And like, I had never heard her name until I started research for this episode, which right. is a yeah. tragedy. Yeah. So after this split, Frances spent the rest of her life working in the pursuit of equal rights, job opportunities, and education for black women. She was the co-founder and vice president of the National Association of Colored Women's Clubs and the director of the American Association of Colored Youth. How did she find the time? I know, I'm like... I barely have the energy to... Talk about her I accomplishments. Have, I have no resume <laughs> in her resume. That is, how, that is how lazy I am. I'm just like, oh, I'm exhausted. Her resume could fit on like a scroll the length of Pennsylvania mm-hmm. Avenue, and yeah. I have no resume. My resume and could she's fit a on mother. My resume could fit on this. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, is that a mini post-it? Yeah, it's a mini post-it <laughs> for those who are not yet on. I Patreon. thought you just had huge hands. Nope. <laughs> I'm a giantess. It can fit on this. This. <laughs> this is my bed. Here's my purple mattress. Oh, cute. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> okay, also some temperance stuff, but again, we're just going to overlook that because it didn't age well. So she... <laughs> not she, in this circle. <laughs> no, not in this house. Not in this coven. <laughs> so, not in my house. <laughs> Good lord. She she lived a really long life, especially for the time period. She died of heart failure on February 22nd, 1911 at the age of 85. Wow. She was buried in Eden Cemetery. Who the time? Seriously. (laughs) In her least favorite state, Pennsylvania. Oh, no. no. I know. Egg (laughs) Zoom Francis. They're so mean. Yeah, p- move the poor gal. <laughs> Exhume, friends. <laughs> Let's start a petition. Uh, yeah. no. <laughs> oh, she was buried next to her daughter, who actually died before she did, which is very oh, sad. All right, fine. So Exhume Mary, too, I guess. <laughs> On the occasion of the 2019 Smithsonian exhibit that reexamined the suffrage movement through a broader intersectional lens, historian Martha S. Jones said of her, quote, the arc of her life is remarkable, but in her many embodiments, she tells us a story that women's lives aren't only one thing. 
And she tells us that the purpose of women's rights is to raise up all of humanity, men and women. Like that is what feminism is. She persists in advocating for a set of values that reflect the principles of human rights today. And there is a memorial statue that was erected in 2020 to her in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. The only good kind of erection. (laughs) Let me tell you. I mean. That's my takeaway from this Mm -hmm. brilliant, beautiful woman's life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) A man that perks up at erection. There it is. It's better than just a dick. My God, can you imagine just a dick? I mean, actually, I do have that in my bedside table, and it's pretty great. But the yeah. fact that anyone could erect. look at a flaccid penis and think that <laughs> that was somehow superior, <laughs> like, like, fine, okay, it, they exist, like, great. I'm not like disparaging <laughs> anyone who has a penis, but like, <laughs> but if you're gonna look at one. It's better if it's erect, right? Oh, my God. Oh, it's just, who, oh, not into it. Not into the flaccid. Little sock. (laughs) It's like when you pull off a, pull off your no-show at the end of a long day. (laughs) It's like all kind of I also hate that. Smells and sights. Who's going to use that? (laughs) It's not good. Ugh. Anyway. Equality. On that note, <laughs> let's hear a quick word from our sponsors. I hope, I hope we it have sucks. a no-show socks. It's not inspiring. <laughs> I hope it's really fancy socks. That'd be amazing. <laughs> oh, my God. If you are like me and, I don't know, the majority of America... <laughs> You probably dread looking at your credit card statements. Mm -hmm. I mean, we just got through Christmas. I'm terrified. Yep. Uh, You're not alone, okay? The weight of debt can be so overwhelming, but Upstart can help you on your path to financial freedom. Tell us more. Upstart is the fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan all online. So whether it's paying off credit cards, consolidating high interest debt, or funding personal expenses, over a million people have used Upstart to get one fixed monthly payment with a clear payoff date. So rather than looking at credit score alone, Upstart considers other factors like your income, your current employment, and your credit history to help find you a smarter rate for your loan. And I love that because credit score, a lot goes into credit scores that uh-huh. is like not in your control. And also right. maybe you weren't even aware of until mm-hmm. all of a sudden you don't have great credit. And now you have I to didn't fix know. it. I know. Yeah. They didn't tell us in high they school. They did not tell us. They did not. So you can check your rate without impacting your credit score in minutes for loans between $1,000 to $50,000. You can even receive funds as fast as one business day after accepting your loan. So find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com gals. That's upstart.com gals. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. Upstart.com slash gals and treat your debts. Treat it. So how about a three for one New Year's resolution? Oh, Are you I ready? love a three for. A three for. 
We've got reducing food waste, which I definitely want to do. Mm-hmm. Save time on grocery shopping. Grocery shopping is literally my least favorite thing to do on the planet. Mm-hmm. And eat more fresh and delicious food all in one. If you think it's too good to be true, think again. You just got to try Imperfect Foods. Y'all, I can't. It is the most amazing service. So Imperfect Foods is a grocery delivery service offering an entire line of sustainable groceries that taste delicious and reduce waste just by embracing the natural imperfections in food. You're going to eat it anyway, people. Why do you care if that carrot has a little kink in it? Who cares? Yeah, you're going to chop it up and, and put it in your salad. Yes, you're going to put it in a soup. So you visit imperfectfoods.com to see if they deliver in your area. And if they do, your life is about to change. Once you sign up, you can personalize your weekly grocery order with fresh seasonal produce, pantry staples, yummy snacks. Plus, your order will arrive on the same day each week. So you can make it super easy to build like a stress-free routine. The delivery is so great. I get mine on Tuesday afternoons. They take a photo to confirm that they've dropped it off. I use the app, so like I get an alert via text message that's like, hey, your shopping window is open. Come on in and take a look at what we've selected for your box this week. I'll take a look. It helps me, you know, I guess loosely meal plan. I'll look at the box and be like, oh, I can make X, Y, and Z out of that. It literally saved my holiday because I had to cook for a bunch of folks on Christmas night that didn't have anywhere to go for Christmas. And if I didn't have my Imperfect Foods box, I would have had nothing to offer anyone. (laughs) And I made like a full dinner with like sides and and desserts. I mean, it was amazing. And on average, Imperfect Foods customers save six to eight pounds of food with every order. And unlike on-demand delivery companies, Imperfect Foods delivers weekly by neighborhood, which is a unique model that produces 25 to 75% fewer emissions than individual trips to the grocery store. So it's like really well planned out to just reduce that carbon footprint, baby. And you can say goodbye to packaging guilt because Imperfect Foods is the only national grocery delivery company that makes it easy to return your packaging after every order. So you're not just throwing out a bunch of stuff every week. I love how thought out it is when it comes to like the environment and sustainability, but you're also like not sacrificing quality. The food is Mm -mm. amazing. It's so good. This is the, this imperfect foods is the reason I eat fresh fruits and vegetables. Mm -hmm. The only reason. (laughs) So right now, Imperfect Foods is offering our listeners 20% off your first four orders when you go to imperfectfoods.com and use promo code GALS, G-A-L-S. Again, 20% off your first four orders. That's up to an $80 value at imperfectfoods.com. Offer code when you use promo code GALS. Join the movement at imperfectfoods.com and use code GALS. And treat your groceries. It is officially 2022. Believe it or not, I'm choosing to believe it today. (laughs) And now is the time to get your wellness routine into action and prioritize your health. And Care Of allows your vitamin routine to be personal, easy, effective, and constantly evolving. Absolutely. So Care Of is a subscription service that ships high-quality personalized vitamins and powders conveniently to your door every month. You know that we don't enjoy leaving our homes. Nope. We want stuff shipped conveniently to us. 
Yup. So basically you take a short in-depth quiz and this quiz is like really fun. It honestly feels like a BuzzFeed or Cosmo quiz. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. This quiz covers questions about your health goals and your lifestyle. And then you get personally tailored recommendations based on your answers. And you can stick with what Care Of has recommended for you or you can change up your pack at any time. Um, I have long been a vitamins gal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like my vitamins. I like the routine of it, everything. And from taking care of quiz, I actually retake it every year because, you know, my body and my lifestyle changes. Yeah. And I just love their recommendations and their products. And that is because Care Of's products are made from good-for-you, clean ingredients that are backed by the latest science and research. I love science and research. I'm pro-science and research. Mm -hmm. So you can feel good about what is going in your body. Don't just, like, randomly choose something off the shelf. Yeah, that's what I do. It's not great. Yeah. So for 50% off your first Care Of order, go to Take careof.com and enter code GALS50. That's G-A-L-S-5-0. Again, for 50% off your first care of order, go to takecareof.com and enter code GALS50 and treat your wellness. Treat it. Are we ready for my case? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. My I case is not about women's suffrage. It's about the inventor of no-shows and how oh. much I hate oh. them. Oh, oh my God. You really, you really had me for a second. I was like, I what's took it suffrage about? to a totally different, I intentionally misunderstood suffrage. Oh, I thought it was women's suffering. I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> sorry. I'm no, just kidding. I'm covering the fan pick case today. So I am talking about Alice Powell. Yes. Who was born in 1885, only 32 years before Helen. <laughs> she could have held Helen as a baby. <laughs> she, she could have literally held Helen. She nannied for There's Helen. There's no way to know she didn't. She was, well, no, she didn't. She was born in my favorite U.S. state, New Jersey. Oh, God. Better than Pennsylvania. Just I kidding. Mean, I actually love Pennsylvania. Me too. <laughs> she was the oldest of four kids to wealthy parents, Tracy and William Powell. Excuse me, one of my tums trying to come up. William was a, quote, Quaker businessman, which I had to look up because I could only picture this meant selling oats. And honestly, I wasn't that far off. <laughs> this search was he brought a me, Quaker who was a businessman? This is like a whole thing. This search brought me to QuakersInTheWorld.org, which says, <laughs> quote, Quakers sought enterprises that were non-military and also useful. The, quote, innocent trades. Oh, yeah. Peaceful. Pacifist. Yeah. They pioneered the mass production of iron and there were mining and metal production concerns, all central to the early Industrial Revolution, alongside older occupations such as wool and cloth production, farming, craft, and shopkeeping. They made domestic china, cast iron utensils, engine and railway components, medicines, chocolate, and much else, end quote. Oh, those Quakers. This also made me cringe laugh. Quote, Quaker communities oversaw local Quaker businesses in order to maintain these standards and prevent over-indebtedness and bankruptcy. They also regulated the master-servant and employer-employee relationships in the interest of equality and fairness. And BDSM. Ah, yes. The equality of the (laughs) master-servant relationship. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, yes. Ah, yes. No... (laughs) Nothing to see here, folks. Uh, I thought yes. the Quakers Don't were all abolitionists. I mean, 
There must have I, been a range. I'm sure there's a range. <laughs> I think they they were like pacifists, but also right. at the time, who knew? Who knew? Like, there was like, a schism. The, the, the yeah. ethics and morals of the racial Quakers. relations were mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all over the place. Yeah. So Alice's parents were progressive for white folks at the time, at least when it came to women's rights. They supported women's access to education, business involvement, and voting rights. Alice's mother had been involved with the suffrage movement. And as a child, Alice would attend women's suffrage meetings with her mother, Tracy. Cool. She pursued an advanced education and her education is bonks. It's peppered throughout this entire case. It's I, like, like you're saying, where do you find the time? She enrolled in one of the few sco- schools at the time that allowed women, the Swarthmore College, which was actually co-founded by her grandfather. That's like a Quaker founded school. Wow. Yeah. She graduated with a degree in biology in 1905 before attending what is now known as Columbia Columbia University in New York. At time, it was the New York School of Philanthropy. I didn't know that. Yeah. Philanthropy? uh, Yeah. I mean, there's like a lot of uh, legacy like social work through Columbia, I guess, before this. Um, She got her master's in sociology in 1907 there. She spent a couple years in England studying social work and then came back to the States to get a PhD from the University of Pennsylvania in 1910. Swarthmore, Columbia, UPenn. Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's it's a lot. Yeah. While she was studying in the UK, she got involved in their suffrage movement and returned to the States with skills in protesting, picketing, and hunger strikes all tactics that were being used by suffrage leaders in the UK. After wrapping up her PhD, she joined the National American Woman Suffrage Association, the NASA. NASA. The NASA. And focused her energy on lobbying Congress for a constitutional amendment granting women the right to vote. This was actually a divisive choice with the NASA because their focus was on state campaigns despite the word national being in their name. A small detail. Yeah, just... (laughs) It's fine. It's just states everywhere. (laughs) Um, And Alice wanted this to be, well, national. So she and a few others who agreed with her approach separated from Nassau and formed the National Women's Party. Alice is a big reason why the Women's March that occurs in March almost every year is a thing. So she was skilled in big group assembly, parades, pickets, and marches. And her first ever U.S. march was also the largest that she organized. It took place in Washington, D.C. on March 3rd, 1913, which was the day before Woodrow Wilson's presidential inauguration. Mm-hmm. The march as we know it today, unfortunately, still suffers from a lot of the same issues it did at its inception, with the exclusion of women of color from planning committees and leadership roles. Today, many trans women, femmes, and women of color are rightfully criticizing the abundance of toxic white feminism surrounding the Women's March and how it's ignoring the presence of racism and transphobia from the women's movement. There's also a lot of anti-Semitism going on. Yeah. So Alice Paul was not an exception to this racism. And while she was initially recruiting both black and white women to march, she was part of discussions about segregating uh, participants based on race to the back of the march. Can you? Or like. Oh, my fucking God. Yeah. That is just. Mm hmm. Like she was get either to the like, back of the march. Yeah. She was either like, well, all of the black participants can march in the back. Or they can, they, a lot of the marches were like, they were all grouped by what state they were representing. Okay. So it was like, or we'll just default to what your state's leader says at the march, where you can march, is basically how that went. 
Oh, oh my, God. my fucking God. Yeah. That is but just... the idea of just letting them participate in within the same parameters as the white marchers was Pretty much. not even on the table. Okay. Yeah. That is it. just like such a manifestation of everything we've been talking about. Oh, the yeah. The fact that like as human beings, they marching for equality mm-hmm. still had this mindset as their default. Yeah. Like I said, they're white first, they're mm-hmm. women second. Oh, yeah. a thousand percent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was part of discussions about segregating participants based on race to the back of the march and willing to align herself with anti-blackness to secure the vote. This is from the Tennessee Tribune. Quote, initially, Paul had reached out to invite black women in Washington, D.C., especially the members of Howard University's Delta Sigma Theta sorority to take part in the parade. Facing criticism and the threat that white Southern women might pull out, Paul recalculated and drew a line. The parade was to be, quote, a purely suffrage demonstration entirely uncomplicated by any other problems such as racial Who's ones. Who's complicating and, well, it by racial setting ones. up where people can march? Yeah. You're complicating it. Precisely. Yeah, you're organizing this shit. Figure it out. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Paul imagined she knew best, continuing on to say, quote, our winning suffrage will be the thing that will most raise the state of Negro women. How? End quote. Doesn't seem like it yeah. since you're making us march in the back. Right. Mm, but and, it's, the be- it's the best they can hope to get. Right. Let's just give this to them. And as we've been discussing throughout this episode, this is still the foundation of like toxic white feminism today, ignoring other intersections of oppression and thinking that aligning with just whiteness to get rights will bring rights to all. Well, we know historically that isn't true. So again, from the Tennessee Tribune, quote, Mary Church Terrell, a black woman, was a former head of the National Association of Colored Women at Wash and a Washington, D.C. power broker who traveled home from New York to march. Terrell had always kept one foot in suffrage association politics and knew its shortcomings well. Neither Ida B. Wells nor Terrell frequented Paul's, like Alice Paul's circles, but they appeared on that day to make plain that black women would never cede the question of their voting rights to others. Mm-hmm. Wells and Terrell were not alone. Most of the two dozen or so black women marchers were local residents of Washington, D.C., including the sculptor May Howard Jackson, the director of the Washington Conservatory of Music, Harriet Gibbs Marshall, pharmacists and drugstore owners, Dr. Amanda Gray and Dr. Ava Ross, and a contingent of college women that included Oberlin College graduate and advocate for early childhood education, Anna Evans-Murray, M Street School French instructor, Georgia Simpson, and Smith College graduate, Harriet Schad. Howard University students also joined the procession decked out in caps and gowns. So it was like, we're representing us. Yeah. We're fucking amazing. Mm -hmm. We don't trust white ladies to get us what we need. Mm -hmm. Rightfully so. They have some good ass representation, too. Like, Mm -hmm. those are all amazing people. Yeah. So the group of 8,000 women were met by about 500,000 spectators, some supporting the action, but most opposing and heckling. They did get President Wilson's attention, though, because he agreed to a meeting with Alice and other suffrage leaders to discuss a constitutional amendment. He ultimately decided, however, that it, quote, wasn't the right time to make that change. Oh, okay. Alice wasn't deterred by this, but instead fortified her efforts and founded the Congressional Union for Woman Suffrage with the express mission of lobbying Congress for this constitutional amendment. She launched a campaign in 1917 that coordinated about 2,000 volunteers to picket the White House around the clock for 18 months. (laughs) It was an occupation of the White House. Mm -hmm. 
I these volunteers that. were known as, quote, silent sentinels who would gather with signs at the White House in peaceful protest, dress all in white, silent and working in shifts over almost two years. Jesus. And if you've ever been to D.C. in the summer mm-hmm. and you can imagine what layers and yards of fabric they had on. Mm. I yeah. mean, they started in January, but yeah, they had yeah. to go through some hot months. That's Jesus. two summers. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they maintained a presence six days a week, holding banners demanding the right to vote, but were met with violence by both citizens in opposition and, of course, the police. Picketing had been legalized in 1914, so the silent sentinels weren't breaking any laws. But mass arrests on flimsy charges like obstructing traffic, like horse-drawn traffic. Fucking still how they arrest people today. A thousand percent. It's going to sound real familiar. And police brutality were common at these demonstrations. The media went nuts covering these injustices. Some were like really shining a light, some media outlets, Mm -hmm. on how fucked up the government response was to this. While obviously many others were like, well... Shouldn't have been there. Yeah, play stupid games, get stupid prizes. Yeah. Yeah. They did break the law, technically. Right. Yeah. They deserve to be met with lethal force. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The Boston Journal wrote, quote, the little band representing the NWP has been abused and bruised by government clerks, soldiers, and sailors until its efforts to attract the president's attention has sunk into the conscience of the whole nation. So, like, some... We're, we're like, passers-by, essentially, like grabbing them and oh yeah i mean shit like that was happening like they were being heckled and harassed fucking constantly day literally Mm -hmm. day and night six days a week Mm -hmm. so president at the time wilson pardoned a few of the arrested women at first but that was mostly for show and the pardons pretty quickly stopped when alice was arrested she actually advocated for the maximum sentence for herself to like make a statement and was put in jail for seven months While jailed, she began a hunger strike. She was threatened with institutionalization in an insane asylum, which is what it would have been referred to at the time, moved to the prison psych ward, brutalized and force-fed raw eggs through a tube in response to her strike. Jesus Christ. She could have died from the eggs. I know. Well, she, yeah. She later stated, quote, it was shocking that a government of men could look with such extreme contempt on a movement that was asking nothing except such a simple thing as the right to vote. She would be arrested several times afterward as she continued organizing pickets for the vote. Uh, she also eventually became a vegetarian because she, like, couldn't stomach eggs. the thought of, like... <laughs> I mean, I know a lot of vegetarians will eat eggs, but, like, yeah. the thought of just the, the, Some the, of the conditions... Some of the shit that she was fed, yeah. Yeah, the conditions in these prisons, it, it's bad now, but it was unfathomable uh, yeah. in the early 1900s. Mm-hmm. Um that, so is, after, that takes some fucking bravery. There's yeah. no way that I would have the strength no. to go on a hunger strike. There's just no fucking way. I, I mean, just, I literally I, couldn't. I would cave. So, well, yeah, you literally could not. I would yeah. fucking cave so fast. I prioritize my comfort <laughs> at an extreme level. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yep. I'm selfish. I could yeah. never be as strong as these women. No. no. Period. Full stop. So after the 19th Amendment was ratified, Alice pursued a law degree because she just loves education. She already has a PhD, right? Uh-huh. Oh, there's more. <laughs> okay. A law degree from Washington College of Law and a master's and doctorate degrees from American University. Get so it. She's All like right. a doctor, a lawyer. 
She's every member of what is it called? Who are the village people? The village people, except like <laughs> a cop. She's a, She's one a fireman, woman, U.S. News person. and World Report. Yeah. <laughs> In 1923, she drafted the first Equal Rights Amendment to the Constitution, but it failed to pass. She remained committed to the women's rights movement throughout her life, lobbying Congress successfully for gender equality to be included in the preamble to the United Nations Chapter, or sorry, United Nations Charter and the 1964 Civil Rights Act, which also encompassed the Voting Rights Act. Mm -hmm. So this is from Wikipedia. Quote, the prohibition on sex discrimination was added to the Civil Rights Act by Howard W. Smith, a powerful Virginia Democrat who chaired the House Rules Committee. Smith's amendment was passed by a teller vote of 168 to 133. For 20 years, Smith had sponsored the Equal Rights Amendment in the House because he believed in equal rights for women, even though he opposed equal rights for black people. For, oh, for there's a theme. There's a yeah. theme happening here. <laughs> for decades, he had been close to the National Women's Party and especially to Paul. So I know we've beaten this dead horse, but I'm just going to read the last part that I wrote. This is just something we as white women need to be mindful and critical of when discussing and celebrating the suffrage movement and the 19th Amendment. It did come at a cost to women of color who did not get the vote at like a national level ratified by the Constitution mm -hmm. until the passage of the 1965 Civil Rights Act. That's like nuts. So while suffragettes like Alice Paul promised that getting white women the vote would open the door to women of color to get the vote, they quickly abandoned that sentiment once they got what they wanted, which is like an act that's all too common, including now. Yeah, it, do, it doesn't affect you. Right. You don't have the so, energy to fight for my problem. It. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Alice Paul died at the ripe old age of 92 and has been immortalized in multiple halls of fame by the U.S. Mint on a $10 gold coin and by Hilary Swank, who played her in the film Iron Jawed Angels in 2004. That is oh, which our fan picker recommended. Yeah. I'm not going to say what I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> the worst movie you've ever I've seen. I've never seen it, but I was going to say that is quite possibly the worst film title I've ever heard. It's Charlie's Angels 2, The Iron Jawed Angels. I know. Can you imagine somebody turning that on and being like, oh, Hillary Swank is in the new Charlie's Angels. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this wait. is not what I thought I was ordering on Amazon Prime. <laughs> Oh, I'm God. sure there's a reason they Did called it that. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> As yes. someone who rarely reads the synopsis when I see a movie title that I think I get, I would be like, oh, is this the Charlie's Angels with Chris in store? <laughs> Iron John Angels. I love her. <laughs> well, Ani Davis recommends that movie. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Ani Davis, for letting us get on our soapboxes. Yeah. God, get for giving us the box. Yeah. <laughs> this is your fault, and we love you. Thank you so much, and we will see you next week. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to Wine and Crime. Our cover art is by Kala Yip. Music by Phil Young and Corey Wendell. Editing by Jonathan Camp. Check out our website and blog at wineandcrimepodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at wineandcrimepod. If you have questions, answers, or recommendations to share, email us at wineandcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, basically wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Podcasts. It is the best way to spread the word. If you'd like to show your support, visit our Patreon page to keep this podcast and the wine flowing. Cheers. Cheers.